And then he called me back and he convinced me to go down to a, um, to the camp, January camp in 1989. And then I went in and walked in and there was Peggy Twiggs, you know, teaching and all the, these girls. And I was like, so intimidated. And, like, and Denise Bonfiglio was there and I'm like, Oh my god, I don't belong here. I didn't march here. I don't belong here. This is like I'm a senior for weekend warrior. I don't like this is scary. I don't know. I mean I I had my way of doing things. I was sort of developing as a writer at that time, but I wasn't, you know, fully aware of how things work. I mean I was very raw. Welcome back to So You Think Your Vox 5, where we talk about all things marching arts, from the bad bad to the good good. From the struggle bus to the perfect 20. From the Charlie horse to the split leap. Those aren't... That doesn't work. It's not opposite. But it's okay. Okay, like when you have We're a Charlie horse... Look, why, why? What's the problem? You got a Charlie horse because you're dehydrated. Okay. So when you, and you get like a split, split leap, wouldn't you be... You get a split leap when you're full of excellence. What... Would so it Charlie be like horse. to the Gatorade, the, the alumni Gatorades? Wait, Charlie Horse to the alumni Gatorades. Well, Doesn't I mean, have... electrolytes, but like, oh I my like, God, that's why I'm you, thinking I just about remember the... people waking up in the middle of the night, Same. screaming, <sighs> my leg, my leg, my leg. I would like squeeze my pillow so hard and just like, I didn't want to make any noise. Like, <laughs> nobody will see my weakness. <laughs> But that's what it is, you know, like your Charlie horse is weak or your Charlie horse like immobilizes you and makes you weak. And then your split leap is big and strong and powerful. So I like the visualization of the cramped leg to the straight leg. We're going to agree to disagree. Rebuttal? Agree to disagree. Tell me who we talked to this week. Oh, you know, no one too special. Oh, girl. Oh, oh girl. I'm just kidding. Oh, girl. We talked to... Mr. Lagola, that is Greg Lagola. And for those of you who can't see, when you say his name, you have to have a broken wrist and an elbow on your hip, okay? Because Greg, Cinched that's how he makes too. an entrance. Yes, oh Cinched. my God. <laughs> Belly button the yep. spine and strep. That's how Greg Lagola makes an entrance. Literally. When Greg Lagola is done writing a finger troll that's melted your brain four times, he puts it down and says, oh honey, I need some water. Strap, dun, 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 broken oh. wrist. Oh, honey. I can hear, hear him saying it. Oh, girl. Girl. Oh, she, he, These joints don't move just like how they used to, honey. She do that real heavy you. Girl. Oh. Like, what is it? Like a... Oh. Not, yeah. Uh, it comes weird. from the back of the throat. Yeah. Oh, girl. <laughs> oh, I love Greg. Oh, man. Greg yeah. was there first. I was, I was such a mess at the cadets. Like, they're... There is no if ands, or buts about it. Like, I was lucky to have given an alternate spot, and then they they gave me so much patience and time, which is something that Greg Lagola talks about. Um, and he was there for all of, like, my biggest roadblocks to overcome. Like, thank you, Greg, <laughs> for giving me the hardest struggles in DCI. And the most humble man. Wow. Just Yeah, he, he, like, he... the way we said it in the interview, like, color guard found... Greg Lagola. Yes, it's exactly. like that's exactly exactly what it is, and true fate. Like truly, and we're just gonna jump right into the episode, everyone. Yes. So enjoy uh, this conversation with a mentor and inspiration, Greg Lagola, the legend. Gregory. Hey guys. Oh. Hi. Oh. It's so nice to see you both. Good to see you, Greg. 
so excited to be talking to you. It's been so long. It's been so long. Yeah, I, it's so great to see you guys. And like, I just you you made like such an impact on like my career, and that was like I feel like so short lived. And I know you had like such an impact on like so many other people like who are contemporaries in this activity and like throughout the years. So um, we just like want to hear your stories and your origin and like, what brought you to Colored Art. Well, that's very nice to hear. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's just lovely to hear and warms my heart. Um, gosh, so what brought me to Color Guard in the beginning? Yeah. Here we're going back. Um, so... <laughs> I'm traveling today. Get your quantum leap out. Um, so, gosh, I, I would say, like, I was first... Um, I first saw what I would call Color Guard. I mean, obviously, my high school band had a Color Guard. But before that, I would say I, there was a local drum corps in my hometown, or next to my hometown. They were called the Belvedere's. And they, like, you know, back in the day, there was tons of drum corps, right? Back in the 60s and 70s. And there was a drum corps called the Belvedere's, and they were marching down. We had a, a parade in town every year. And I saw the girls in the color guard, the rifle girls. And at that time, they only had girls in the rifle line. Um, and they were spinning, just literally just spinning, but they had that whole drum corps military bearing and it was so like precise. And I think I was 10, I think I was nine or 10. Maybe I was young, maybe I was nine, nine or 10. So we're going back. And I saw, I saw them on the street in the parade and I thought, oh my God, <laughs> like, I don't know what that, I wanna do that, I'm gonna do that. Like that is, so, it just clicked. You know, I was like, I wanna be exactly what they are. And then, so then from there, I started, I was a backyard Betty kind of, I, I took a baseball bat and I just would watch it and I would just imitate it. I would say, oh, I think they did this. And I think they did that. And then I would just use a baseball bat and I would do it outside uh, in our backyard. I wore a hole into the ground, into the grass, you know, like the grass was all bare. My dad was like, why is that? My dad was like, why is that grass bare over there? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know. I, I had to twirl that bat when he wasn't around. So, <laughs> he was, like, why is was it a wood or metal bat? It was wooden. It was an old honey. It was, it was, this is back in the day. I don't think metal bats existed even then. Oh, but I, I just like picture you like getting ready to like hit the perfect serve, <laughs> like the perfect pitch with like a flourish and attitude turn. Yeah. <laughs> Ow, like. Girl, would that, were, would that were true? No, it was more, it was an old ba wooden bat and it was all chipped and everything. It was short. But it was perfect because it kind of felt like a rifle, right? It had a, a thicker end, which was the butt, you know, and then whatever. And then um, I just would do that literally until until dusk when the bats would start coming down. You know, you throw the, you know, bats go, or they locate by a sonar. Like I throw the thing in the air and the bats would come swooping against it. And that's when I knew to come in because it was like getting scary. But um, so, yeah, so I started like teaching myself and I broke a few things in the house. I, I made some scuff marks on the ceiling, you know, of course, like everybody has. And, you know, but I tried to hide it a little bit. Like I tried to do it in my parents, you know, cause they were like, what are you doing with that bat? You know, like they didn't understand what I, how much I loved it. So, um, and that was it, that's how I started. But then I, they couldn't, you know, I was young. So then when I got to high school, I kind of wanted to be in the color guard, but it was all girls. So I decided, ironically, not so funny when I say that, cause <laughs> the color guard was all girls, but I ended up being a feature twirler. I mean, I went from like sort of gay to really gay. So <laughs> I was like a feature twirler as a boy. And this was back in 75, I think it was. So 
it was kind of a a one-off. Like, I don't think they ever had a boy twirl the baton again, you know, in, in that school. Yeah. So I, I was able to join the band by doing that. And then I became a drum major. And so I could twirl the mace, you know, which is kind of like a, you know, again, I was, I was always, you know, jonesing for that rifle, but I could never get my hands on it. And then, um, and then that was it. And then I, and then um, one thing led to another. And then when I got to university, I went to Penn State and um, uh, I saw this sign up in the common area and some guy was starting a color guard at Penn State in 19, let's see, 1980, the fall of 1980. And I saw the thing and my heart was like, what? What, are you kidding me? You know, so I ran down to that audition. You know, I was like, yeah, I had to be there. He was somebody who marched in the scouts. He was an old scout guy from, in, um, and he, uh, we, he put together this color guard and we were terrible, like in the beginning, I mean, it was terrible, but you know, I didn't care as long as I was, you know, spinning and enjoying something that I really loved. I loved it. And that's how I started like to actually perform. The first time I ever performed was in that color guard, but yeah. So that's kind of like how it all started, you know, up, and, up until I got to college. So cool. Where exactly was your hometown? Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. Northeast. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, I know. I was like, I know he lives in New York, but I was like, I don't know where he's actually. No, I'm from Pottsville. I moved. I, I graduated in in '83, and then I took a year to kind of work and try to save some money, and then I moved to New York in fall in August of '84, and then I've been here ever since. So I've actually lived in New York longer than I ever lived in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you're in the city. Yeah, I live in the village on. Um, Minetta Lane in the village. It's like so. Um, that's awesome that you made like color guard like happen for you. Like it sounds like <laughs> you know you were drawn to it like since since you first saw it and you had yeah. to like wait so long to make it happen. And like you, I remember asking you once like what was your career like at the cadets? And I told you, honey, you don't want to know about that. Like I didn't. I did a little bit of everything for nobody. And I was like, <laughs> okay, Greg, whatever. Like let's go in the closer yeah. now. No, it's it's um. It's a thing, it's like, so, I, you know, in hindsight, if I had really thought about it a bit more, you know, I could have, at that time, right, you know, for drum corps especially, there was the scouts and there was the cavaliers for boys, except there were a few, with a few ex exceptions, like North Star was another drum corps in Massachusetts. They had boys, uh, Skyriders had boys, which is where people like Tommy Keenan marched and um, I think Wes Cartwright and, um, Casey Michael, like those amazing, amazing color guard folks, right? They all, that's an interesting story, actually, those guys. I mean, they at Skyriders. I, I believe they all marched in Skyriders. I'm not sure about the same time, but that I need to check that out. But, um, and, and other, and other amazing people. So there were places for boys to go. But for me, you know, my parents were, you know, from the time I could remember talking, it was like, you are going to go, my parents didn't go to college, you know, they couldn't do all that. So they were like, I was going to go to college, right? And so I ended up, I ended up, that was the priority. So I ended up at Penn State. So Penn State was so far away from everything, like, in terms of all of that. I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't make, and Crossman were close. Crossman would, would have been the closest thing in the Philadelphia area, but they were all girls at the time. So I was like, well, how am I going to do this? But so I, in hindsight, if I had thought about it, I could have applied to colleges maybe like in the Midwest, you know, closer to Wisconsin or closer to, you know, Chicago or, you know, Madison or Chicago. But I, at that time, I thought, nah, I kind of thought 
well, it just won't happen. That's all. I'll just pretend, you know, I'll just, I'll just do this color guard thing at Penn State. They, called it, they were called the syndicate. And, you know, it didn't matter if we were good or bad. I didn't care. We went to Dayton one year. The first year of Dayton we went was 83. We were on first, I swear to God. I think we were on 730 in the morning. Oh, my God. I don't think the cleaning people were even there. I swear to God. So <laughs> it was so early. And, um, I mean, you know, like, we were not good. I think we came in next to last or something like that. But I just had a blast. I loved it. You yeah. know, it was great. So I guess in hindsight, you, you know, I didn't plan it to be a, to, to do Color Guard as a performer so much. And so it kind of like the parade passed me by, no pun, no pun intended. But then I, um, I, then I started marching senior corps in 83. I did West Shore because I could do that on the weekends, you know, and then that, that, then that was close enough. I thought, well, I thought when I was doing senior corps, I thought, well, this, I'll do this for a few years and I'll never see it again, you know, but you know, it's like one of those things, like, I guess if you love something enough, it stays with you. And then one thing led to another after marching senior corps for a couple of years with Sunrisers in the mid to late eighties, um, I met Zingali and I met George, uh, I met Zingali and I met Mark and met Jerry Cordino. And so those three were all, you know, doing the cadet thing for, for so long. And I think it was Jared Cardino maybe had given, had talked about me, like he had seen me at Sunrisers and I was riding there and he thought, oh, like maybe this is somebody who could, you know, do the cadet, you know, I, there was some sort of talk about that, I guess. And then in 80, at the end of 88, yeah, at the, at the latter, the fall of 88, long, long story short, I got a phone call from Hopkins. And I, I was given, he was giving my name by, I think, Zingali, because Hopkins, George at the time was wanting new staff. This is kind of an interesting story. He wanted, I don't know what his issue was, but the Color Guard staff who had been at Cadets in 88, 87, 88, 88 was their first year with boys. And um, there was some, I don't know, some issue, like Hopkins was, you know, hot and cold sometimes with these things. I, I never really quite understood what the problem was, but he kind of, he kind of put, um, put the you know put the task to george zingali to say there's got to be other people out there who can write you know maybe there's somebody closer to to jersey or da, 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 and stuff like that so then i ended up he called me i ended up saying no because i was a little scared about how that would work i was working as a design assistant in New York at the time, and I knew I couldn't tour, but I could do certain things. You know, I thought, well, maybe it'll work, but I would be one of the only people who would have that kind of weird schedule. And then I just got wind of things, and I thought, oh, maybe I don't want to do it half-ass, so I, I said no. And then, and then April and this girl Anjanellis, who marched in cadets together for like seven or eight years together, they April tells the story. They fished my number out of the waste paper basket because he threw it away. And, and he said to them, I, I called this guy Greg Legola, I think his name is, and da, da 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 and I wanted to see if he was interested, but he wasn't interested, so eh, I'll move on to the next person. You know, George didn't know me. And so Anne and, and April had known a little bit from Winter Guard prior, and they said, oh my God, call him back, call him back, you know, da 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 because they liked me and we had fun together and whatever. And then he called me back and he convinced me to go down to, a, um, to the camp, January camp in 1989. And then I went in and walked in and there was Peggy Twiggs, you know, teaching and, and all the, these girls. And I was like, so intimidated. I'm like, and Denise Bonfiglio was there. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't belong here. I didn't march here. I don't belong here. This is like, I'm a senior core weekend warrior. I don't like, this is scary. I don't know. I mean, I, I had my way of doing things. I was sort of developing as a writer at that time, but I wasn't, you know, fully 
aware of how things work. I mean, I was very raw. So, uh, so but you know, I, they just, thank God, like somebody, like they gave me the chance, you know, they gave me the chance to kind of figure it out and do some writing. And, and then I, I worked it around my schedule, my work schedule. And then that was it. And then that was my first year of cadets. And then it went on from there, you know, on and off, whatever. So that was a long story. Sorry, guys. That is so cool. I was taking it all in. That was so cool. Like, wow. To just, I love that. April Killian. <laughs> yeah. You can just imagine saying, April, you can just imagine her saying, like, where's the, where's the, where's the, you know, get, the, get me the basket. Give me the basket. And she, you know, rummaging through for the number. <laughs> I could just see it, right? Oh, and like that's awesome that like you you know you were doing your own thing headed to New York and like color guard yeah. stuff, like, you don't it it found you like you it found you at Penn State um it found it you at, like it was it literally did it actually found me that's exactly true and I I guess it's one of those things like you know I always in my heart thought you know th there was always part of me that thought somehow I'm going to be involved but I just didn't you know I kind of went about my business and 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 focused on my 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 fashion career and but always kind of like trying to still be part of the color guard world and um i don't know it's weird i guess if you put yourself in the right places and or you're in you happen to be somewhere or you know actually at the end of the day our our community the pageantry community it, we're kind of small right so you know i guess when you do march i mean um you do march rachel you march senior corps right so when you do march senior corps even though like we're 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 not associated with DCI. We're still sort of part of the same family. And so you kind of, you know what I mean? There's a little bit of that, you know, that goes back and forth. And I think once you get into the community, you know, sometimes you meet people and that, you know, who you, who you like to work with or who resonate with you. And sometimes you, you meet people who you don't resonate with for whatever reason. And that's just the way it is. But I guess the, what's, what's wonderful about pageantry, and this is not true necessarily in the fashion world, is pageantry, has, for, for me, it always felt like a very level playing field. Um, it always felt like no one cared who you were, how much money you made or didn't make, or where you came from, or what your uh, orientation was, or, you know, really, honestly, I think it's, they've always been, it's like when you share a passion for this, I feel that that sort of breaks down a lot of uh, would-be barriers that, that exist in other uh, communities, right? In the fashion community, there are a lot of barriers. There's a lot of stuff, you know, it's, there's a lot of, yeah, it's hard, it's, I could go into that, it's a different thing, but, you know, in pageantry, I feel like you're all, we're kind of all accepted. We accept each other, right? I, on some, on most levels, I mean, I'm sure there's issues, you know, but it's not perfect, but I don't know if you guys have, have ever felt that or experienced that as performers, right? What do you, you know? So, because it's, it's funny, because it's like, I think about like the first day of marching band, like that opening meeting where it's like, if you don't know how to play an instrument, you get stuck in the color guard. So it's like the people, like the misfits are all in the same room together. Yeah. And it's like, I think, yeah, I think it's a really accepting community in that aspect of the, like, I, I like how you put it with the level playing field, because I know, like, when I first joined, I should, I think about where I started and where I am now and that. I should not have made it this far. <laughs> like, if they had not let me in the room, like, it, I wouldn't have seen where I am right now. Correct, correct. And they, but they did. They let you in the room, right? And they, and you know, and they, like, it's, it's funny because it's like I like teaching kids now, and it's like 
I, I see kids and it's like, which the, one of them is, the, yeah, it's like yeah. watching them and it's like, all right, like I have to put myself in their shoes and remember how much I hated color guard when I first started and I didn't want to dance and I was, wasn't graceful. I'm still not graceful, but it's like, like, I'm like, all right, I got to give everyone a chance to be a superstar because like, just because yeah. I'm in being a superstar doesn't mean they won't ever be one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Pedro. Say it. Say it when everybody's like focused on like the task at hand, like most people don't know what they're doing when they're starting, but like everybody's committed to like holding their flag at right shoulder. And then like, we're all committed to like at least this one flag feature and like, it like helps shed like other things that um, could, like you said, were barriers and help people focus yeah. on. Yeah, for sure. There's, and, and you know, it's, I always go back to that day I walked into that camp, the rehearsal of the cadets for the first time, you know, it was intimidating and all that, but, so like contrast that with you know in the fashion world so here was the cadets right so so if you if you open if you kind of compare it to different worlds like film and television or fashion or even music so the cadets are a brand right huge blue devils cadets all the top 10 12 drum corps um are major brands so their their corresponding brands in say the fashion world would be you know, oscar de la renta calvin klein you know chanel valentino like you know whatever the, the, these are the top kind of brands in the business for them to allow somebody with no proven track record in this business quote unquote to walk into the room and stand in front of some of those kids and try to teach something you know kudos to them and the the our activity for allowing that to happen because in the in the in like say the film you know and television world and fashion world you're not going to just walk in the door because somebody kind of knew you from something that was not really related necessarily i mean it's very rare that that would ever happen that they would give you a chance to kind of blossom you know and in 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 the in the um in their organization so that's i'll always sort of think of that I'll always be kind of a pivotal part of my Kind of journey in all of this is that in uh, in our world you know and i think it's still true we do we do allow people to take a chance and you know and it's kind of like if you've got the goods right if you've got the talent and the and the and the work ethic and stuff you're you're going to be you're going to be fine right so that's what i love about the activity i think it's one of the things i love about it you mentioned earlier um your how you were like developing your like the way you do things and you were like nervous about starting at the cadets and you said it was really raw um like at that point can you talk like more about that and like how that influenced like your just journey like creatively because you know, yeah we, we want to get into that too um and we see that impact in the activity but like i want to know about your hands and how you develop these twirls greg yeah i i think it's because of, it was just dumb like sort of ignorance on my like I had having not marched in junior corps and certainly not not at the any kind of level of the cadets you know there is a um you know you learn very quickly when you're there that like their rehearsal technique and the speed with which they do things and and there's certain sort of sort of givens right there's certain base baseline givens like if they're if the flag line is kind of moving in different directions and stuff like that like and you're trying to move your lower body there's certain things you know that I didn't really know. I didn't. I I, I stood there. I, I stood there and choreographed in my head, like in my world, you know, and how I thought that should could feel. I I didn't really put the whole picture together smartly enough. And there were times when I'm like, oh my god, how is that going to work? 
Like, look at that drill. He has them running, and now they're going through somebody. And, you know, all that stuff. So I, I had not had sort of the, the wherewithal to, to, to know how to tailor some of what my ideas were into the system into the existing system, right? So that's, that was the learning curve for me. I, I looked at it, but I learned quite, pretty quickly. So when I saw them on the field and I would say, oh my God, that is so terrible, it's terrible. I have to fix that because I wasn't thinking right. And, I, and then, but at the same time, again, I was surrounded by amazing people, right? Who can make you look really good. So there was one thing I remember, um, the rifles, this is 89 and they were coming through this thing. And I had this, I had this, rifle going up and around and kind of around the neck and drop, you know, whatever. But it was happening at the same time as, as they were supposed to be uh, uh, passing through a, a horn section. And I remember Mark saying to me, I said, oh, Mark, I'm so sorry. I, I can fix that. I can fix that. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, like whatever. And he said something like, he said, don't worry about it. So I'll, fix, I'll make it work. Don't worry about it. Like it was nothing to him. Like it was like, I'll fix that, please. It's fine. I love it. I, it's, it, it's staying. I'm going to fix, I'm going to make that work. So, so one thing is I had the benefit of really cool people who I, I bonded with very quickly um, in that staff and, and they, and April as well and, and Peggy and, and Denise, and they just kind of made, they helped me, they helped me, they helped me figure things out and they gave me the, uh, the, the, the breathing room to do that. The other thing is I'll say, I never was taught, I was taught by one guy, this one guy, his name is Fred Pye, Fred, Fred, uh, and he was the one who started Syndicate. And he had a way of doing things that was very interesting for his time, you know, and still he's a very interesting character and he marched in scouts and, and he had a very cool way of moving and it was still very kind of military-ish, but he did some quirky things and, uh, and he was my only real instructor. So I was, I kind of, when I, I, I guess maybe with him watching him do things, I started to think a little bit like that about where the hands were and sort of interesting ways of, of grabbing the equipment or whatever. And I, I think that was one thing that played into my developing my, my kind of style. But the other thing is I just didn't know enough. Like I, I didn't, I never really learned much apart from what Fred you know, show, showed me, which is great but I never had the benefit of having somebody else sort of normalize, quote unquote, my thinking about what it should be. So I just had to make things up as I went along. So I didn't know if it was good or bad, I just thought it felt cool. And so, but I didn't have that constraint of like, I wasn't trying to, you know, I wasn't trying to sort of stylistically remain true to my quote unquote heritage because I didn't have any DNA heritage in the business, I, in, the, in the pageantry world. I, I came at it and had to figure out things on my on my own, and I think that's maybe why some of the stuff got a little bit quirky and kind of I don't know, just like maybe I made decisions that other people might not make because they were smarter than I was, right? About how it should be. I was too stupid to know, so I think that dumb, that kind of dumbness about <laughs> what that sort of ignorance uh, is bliss kind of thing. I think it helped me that I was a bit ignorant of the, you know, the realities of speed and tempo and, 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 and form and all that stuff. But I learned, you know, at the cadets, of course, and that was a good place to learn. But I think those two, those two things, you know, kind of played into how I, I don't know, just, you know, just kind of started flipping that thing around in the way I thought it should go, should go around. 
you have a, like amazing ways of like manipulating the equipment and it's always like so much work in my head because like you said it's not like it's not always intuitive but it's good yeah it's funny like, i was writing the other day and i just showed yeah. him, um, some saber twirls i wrote and he was like oh okay legolux i've had all these saber twirls in it I, I appreciate that that's so sweet yeah but no you know what i mean it's like you kind of sometimes if you throw away um you, th you know, actually, I was reading, I read a book many years ago, it was an architect, and he wrote this book about the design process, and a few things stood out, but one of the main things that stood out is, it was, you know, it was one of those bullet point things, you know, sort of a list for designers and how to, how to think, and one of the things he said was, um, every once in a while, you have to burn your idols, and what he was meant by that is, there are certain things that you like to do because they feel really good like in terms of where the you know like the choreography like you kind of get into a groove and you know what that groove is and you feel really comfortable and you know it's successful and you know it's gonna whatever and it becomes um you know a go-to thing and it's normal like but i think his point was every once in a while you have to say i'm not going to do that comfortable comfortable thing anymore i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna burn that idol i'm gonna get rid of that thinking and i'm gonna make myself uncomfortable for a little bit and see what happens and I, I, I kind of always took that to heart. I always thought, well, you know, what can I do that feels not like a sort of groove or a track that I've been down before? And then I like to, I like to try to explore that. And I feel like, I feel, feel like when you do that, make yourself uncomfortable, you know, it can lead to some interesting results. Yeah, because I feel like in just in color art in general, you, you have these like, couple of things that you always yeah. do because they feel good and like yeah, you know, like, yeah. and it's like I um I try to do that too because it's like I it's like I, I like think of like Eric Babula syndrome only using the right hand and I'm like I'm like all right I gotta use like let me use both hands and like all right let me yeah. this way like let me rotate it this way but it's such a good way of approaching things because I think you end up finding like another gem, you know? Yeah, it can happen and it's exactly right. Like, you know, try, if you do something on the right a lot, try it on the left. If you do, if you do, it, you know, flip the rifle around or the saber or the flag, or whatever, or, or do something, you know, kind of like look at it as a, a series of um, either a constraint of some sort or, or a series of sort of subtractions, like subtract, things that are comfortable and only leave the stuff that feels a bit you know strange and you know it doesn't always work but it's it's a method you know and, and also too i had the benefit of talented performers like you two and 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 so no it's true and so many you know i had the benefit of the trust you know of the performers behind me um to kind of go along with the with the experiment so to speak you know and so um that's always nice that that made it easier <laughs> yeah constraint is like always a good um a good tool to use to like uh like really push like your boundaries and your comfortable your level of comfort and um like just to like push your creativity like i'm not going to do any of this like with my hands gonna, like yeah. you know I, i'm going to be on the ground for six sets of 64 <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and you know sometimes it's it's hard it's a lot of work and you know sometimes it doesn't work you know you say well all right fine that i tried it yeah but it's not really working so but i don't know like oftentimes you can get something out of it that unexpected you know and kind of fun so yeah, yeah. well um sorry go ahead no, it. it like 
I want to hear about your your um your fashion career. Like it, when when you um when you marched with or when you taught us at the cadets, like you were always so aloof. Like you, it's it, you like alluded to that earlier. Like you had like a weird schedule that you had to go by. And like mm-hmm. Greg, when you were there, like you rocked the boat. And then like also like, peace out. It was so yeah, fast because we were talking about it yesterday. How like just choreographers in general are just like this transient sort of thing where it's yeah. like not really like you know them like you reckon like they know you we know each yeah. other's name the but at work. the end of the day yeah it's like we can recognize the style but at the end of the day it's like we don't really know them very well you know it's like because we don't get the opportunity to because you come in so like you have like 20 30 40 sets of like things to write and then you're like i gotta go and like we want to like know more about you to like understand like where your passion comes from and like fat like your fashion is amazing. You, you were not only always pulling looks, um, like the looks that we've seen like on your models is phenomenal. So yeah. Very kind of you, thank you. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, like I said, I, I wanted to, I decided to study fashion right before I, right before my senior year of, uh, at Penn State, I changed majors, you know, I decided, I was actually a science major for a while. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was so weird. But I, I was like, no, I don't think I want to be a physicist. I think I want to be a designer. <laughs> so, um, I, I ended up spending my last in my last year at Penn State getting my getting my bachelor's in art, and then, um, and then I, I went to FIT in the city. And so, you know, fashion to me, it's it's an applied art, right? It's like it, it's something you have to wear, there's a practical and accessible side to it, but there's an artful side to it. And for some reason that appeals to me. And I don't know, like I've been at it for a while. I've, I've worked in so many different capacities. You know, I started as an assistant obviously, and then kind of worked my way into, um, into the fabric side of the business, then kind of went back to designing and then just kept uh, accumulating experience. And now I would, since um, I'm trying to think, I've been I've been a consultant actually. So I, I my last full time job. So you know the market changed in two thousand eight and nine, which they had with that big banking crisis and all that stuff. So when that happened, I was working at at a division of Bill Blass called Bill Blass New York, and I was the textile director. And the backer, the, the people that who were funding that side of the business pulled out entirely because of the crash. And so the company ended up closing, and it, along with so many other companies, a lot of people lost their jobs. And I had to pivot, you know, at that time, from thinking of myself as, you know, an employee to really thinking about starting to build something on my own. I mean, I had had a menswear collection before that, a small one that I did as a hobby in 2005 and six, I think it was. Um, but. Uh, I couldn't really get it off the ground because there was no, it was more of a labor of love and something fun to do, but I couldn't really make it a business. And then when 2008 happened and, and I ended up consulting. And so from there, um, you know, I've consulted for some, you know, emerging designers who are now fairly su- successful. And I thought, well, I wanted, I really do want to make my own mark <clears throat> on the page here. So I started to think about how I could do that for myself about two years ago. <clears throat> and then, so I've been working on this Gregory Joseph thing for about a year and a half to two years. And, you know, the COVID thing has not been helpful at all. And so 
you know, I started, I launched the day of the shutdown is when I launched my website. Isn't that great? Perfect timing. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been hard. So I've been selling masks and donating masks and doing other things. But um, anyway, I started this as a sustainable uh, kind of responsible brand. Um, and I'm still at it. I, I, I'm working on, uh, I'm actually doing a photo shoot on October 5th for, um, uh, for some, I'm adding some new product. Um, and then, um, and then we'll see how it goes. I, I kind of have to just hang on right now. A lot of, you know, emerging designers like myself, we kind of were thrown a loop with this. So um, I'm just trying to keep it together. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've had some great experiences while I was consulting. I worked, I worked as, at a brand called Adrian, and I, this would require some research, I'm sure, but like for some people, but Adrian was a very famous costume designer in the 1930s and 40s for MGM. He designed the Wizard of Oz. He was the Wizard of Oz costume designer. So anyway, he died many, many years ago, obviously, but a client of mine owned the license to resurrect his label. And in 2017 and 18, I think it was, I designed three collections under that label. And that was a great experience. And I kind of like, I mean, I dressed uh, Gal Gadot for Saturday Night Live when she was on Saturday Night Live. I dressed um, this Broadway actress, Kate Baldwin, at the time because under that label, which was great. And I started to, once that happened and I was starting to get things moving, the client, <laughs> it's so weird how this works, the client, um, they decided to sort of take another direction with the company. They started, and then eventually they just kind of left the business. They left the business. So then I, it was actually from that experience that I decided that that was the time now for me to launch my own thing based on where I was kind of going with that. And that's where I'm at today. So that was, so from about around 2000, I would say 2016 or 17 is when I started with them and started to make some inroads into that market, into the, you know, the demi couture fashion market. And I enjoyed it. Um, it just didn't continue with that client. So then, and they were great people. I loved working with them, but they just had, you know, other, other projects they were working on or other ideas about where they wanted to go. So then um, that was it. And so here I am trying to get this, get this off, to, off the ground again, so. Super cool. How, um, cause I know, you also dabbled with designing color guard uniforms too, because I'm pretty oh, sure I designed everything I wore in high school. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. was that just like natural for you to hop into that sort it, of? Realm? It was one of those things, the same thing at cadets. I walked in that same year, 89, we were doing Les Miserables. And um, I, I just kind of nonchalantly, I, I was, I went over to where Mark was living and, and George are living in the same like big house building. They lived in different apartments. This was when Katie Hopkins was like two years old or something like that. And um, I nonchalantly walked in and I had, I thought, oh, I, I hadn't, you know, I wasn't asked to do the, the costumes, uniforms, but I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool? Like, you know, the cadets look military and then there's this whole Les Miserables thing. So I'm like, oh, that could be cool. Like, to reconstruct the jackets and cut them up and like do stuff. And I, I made a bunch of sketches and I showed them to Mark. He's like, oh, oh, okay. And he was like, he wasn't thinking about it, about me doing it. And he said, oh, if you, cool, go for it. If you want to do it. And I was like, all right, yeah. So then I, 
begged people that I was who I was working with in the industry, some tailors and people who are really skilled at making, you know, at making and and all that stuff, costume people. I convinced them to come out to New Jersey on two weekends and to sit there and make things and kind of manipulate the uniforms and do some stuff. And we painted them and Tommy Keenan was there that year and he I think he helped craft some like he helped like I think he he and Keith might have helped with some painting or something like that. Then I got the red, white, blue ribbons, you know, the French thing and put them on. And so it was just like one of those random organic things that happened. I hadn't, I hadn't planned on it, but I, I like designing clothes. So I was like, well, I can kind of help out if you like. And they said, sure. And then that was, that's, then that was it. So then I just kept kind of going at it and all through the, all through the nineties. And then, um, and I think around 2001, I was approached by Fred J. Miller to like to become one of their designers at that time for the catalog and you know and then you know did that for a long time and then I did some stuff on my own though in the 90s before that like I I, I did in fact I found the old books it was crazy I was going through my old paperwork and I found all these designs from the 90s from like from Flanagan High School and and um, a lot of Michael James's groups and Adam Sage's groups because I met I met Adam and cadets and we stayed in touch and I was like oh my god I forgot about all the stuff and I would make it in New York City I would make it here or with like factories who I knew of and I would just kind of you know figure it out like you know it was like a project because I thought well if I can't you know at the time I wasn't you know designing designing for anybody it was in at that time so I thought well I could get my design you know, uh, muscle work here on, on this side of things and kind of enjoy it in the process. And so that's how it worked. And then one thing, led to, you know, I just kept going every year, every year, every year. And here it is like, I don't know how many years later. Well, 89. Well, how long was it? It was 89, 99, 2009. Oh, 30. Oh my God. Almost 31 years ago. Yeah. That's amazing. Like just a testament to like the, well, one, like designing is a skill that not everybody has. So I'm like, I'm sure it was really appreciated. Um, at at the cadets when you introduced it to um, the Georges and yeah. <laughs> like, also, like, you know it's a skill that you had and they also like gave you the opportunity like you said earlier they did they exactly again they gave me the opportunity to to make a mark on the page you know so to speak and I'm grateful I'm always grateful for that you, you mentioned sketches and I'm getting flashbacks to like 2012 and you're like you're downstairs in um the dorms that we had for all days and you had sketches out and like the color guard was upstairs like trying to like lean over like the edge and like people were gossiping about what the uniforms are gonna look like and I still had like no idea about like just you I knew like your, the twirls were hard and I was a mess like I didn't know like could barely remember anybody's names I'm like oh, he's doing uniforms like I'm so clueless but like I, yeah it, it was such a chatter for a couple of days that's so funny yeah I, I love to see I love to see some people some of the uh, people I've taught over the past number of years now, I, it's nice to see a, a few of them, um, you know, getting into uh, costume design or uniform design. And it's just nice to see that, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to do it as long as I can. I, I don't ever want to not do it. I don't know, you know, it's just one of those things that I, I never wanted to be, you know, not part of my life, you know. Um, and now in the past, I have to say, since I joined, I joined Stanbury um, uh, 2000, mm, let me think, 13-ish, 12 or 13, I think 13. And, and they're an amazing uh, company, an amazing group of people. And um, 
uh, Gary Roberts, uh, who sadly passed away a few years ago, he had been put in touch with me through Dave Glasgow at Blue Coats. And then once I started with Stanbury, you know, they, again, were just very, um, you know, understanding and patient with me and just gave me the opportunity to kind of want to do, do what I do and bring it to their platform because they, they really weren't into the color guard uniforms at the time when I got there. So it was kind of a, we, we kind of joined forces, you know, but they've been amazing at letting me, at helping me create some, uh, you know, I think the best work I've done so far has been the past three or four years because I feel like it's, I'm, you know, and I'm always, you know, obviously I'm surrounded by people, you know, on, at Blue Coats and before that at Cadets, but now Blue Coats especially and, um, you know, who, again, allow me to just sort of say, oh, I, I want to see this. I think it'd be cool to do this. And no one, you know, once in a while, there's a little bit of pushback, like, are you, you know, but not really. Everyone just sort of says, why not? Just go for it. And including, you know, the company who's making them, thank God, and the organizations with whom I'm working. So um, I got, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. But I've, that's that's been one of the kind of most rewarding things I would say over the past couple of years to, is to see, and then I'm working with Michael Rafer who does the sets for Blue Coat. So the two of us working together with John and Jim, it's just like, you know, we're just having a blast because it's like creating theater on the field. And I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of where we're going with this now. So, and I've done Santa Clara as well. And the same thing, I, I that team out there is amazing to work with. And, um, just enjoying the pro processes are different, but I'm just enjoying so much what's going on now with the freedoms and uh, in that we that we're experiencing and all that, um, and and so on and so forth. So yeah, so it's been yeah, I miss it. I miss it so much. The summer, oh my god, I missed it. It's crazy. Yeah, one thing I was just talking about how like she missed getting better as a tech. Yeah, surrounded by the talent and having talent push you and everybody's you can feel like passion cooking when it's all out yeah oh man i hope we can get back to something soon i do uh you know all the drum corps now are talking you know about their plans and you know there's ongoing conversations and stuff like that so i'm hopeful that they'll they'll, be, they'll there will be a season next summer so i hope you know we have uh, resilient people like yeah well, there will be something <laughs> there's gonna be something because i can't take it anymore it's like you know we're all I don't know. We were just, we just missed the process, right? You know, we missed the outlet that, I don't yeah. know, with, well, before COVID or whatever, but it was just like something to, even though it was work and it was something that you had to, I don't know, put a lot of like mind power and brain power behind yeah. it. It was fun. So it's like the, the whole collaboration part is my favorite. Like planning is like when we're, when we got a drawing board out for the season, that's like my favorite part. Like, yeah. Seeing the whole product is nice too, but it's like the early I, I love the early collaboration. Yeah, potential is is it potential great? You can live off potential. Oh, <laughs> That's so good. High. It's a high like adrenaline is a high like and yeah. oh we were we've been talking so much. So like April camp is like peak potential because like everybody's super excited yes. to see each other. Like you're getting snippets of the show and you're and it's so abstract in your head that you just know you want to strive towards something like exactly exactly it's like i i miss that so much all that lead up and i mean you know there's always like super i mean amount of nerves before that first show right and 
I mean, June was always a rough month for me because uh, I was doing, you know, I, I did a few drum corps, right? June was rough because everything was trying to come together and then there was issues with this and there might've been something that came in a little bit off that we had to correct and it all worked out, but oh my God, that stress beforehand. Well, I mean, I, I, breathe, I, I breathed such a huge sigh of relief after that opening night show. Like, I'm like, oh my God, thank God. I, I, now I can move into phase two, which was just getting it perfect and fixing a few things here and there. But that first, oh, that first push, just it's just can be so dreadful yeah the first draft though is so is nerve-wracking it just makes you feel like what am i doing is this going to work what if they fall apart on the what if they get what if they have to go out naked like i mean it's all kinds of you know you have to you have those dreams where like they have no shoes on on the field and you're like and you wake up and you're like oh my god that was a dream thank god i, I really thought that i forgot to put the shoes on them or something like that like you get these crazy dreams right oh my god it's horrible yeah you said you um your like best work has come out these past three years yeah. um, and it sounded like obviously like the collaboration is a huge part of that um but like talk about like the the stories that come through and like designing like a whole production because you do like you choreograph you do the the costuming um you, you do stage design like how that's so much work so so here's the thing so i i mostly like so nowadays like I'd still do some choreography, right? Um, but you know, at Blue Coach, you know, Jim's doing most of the choreography because that's his job and that's his, he's the, he's basically the director for the color guard. But you know, we worked together for so many years. I think it's 20 some years. So yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, hey girl. You know, like I wanna, you know, I love that part or why don't you take that part or why don't you do this? So I'm still sprinkling, you know, here and there. And I, and I uh, you know, as much as my body will can take it because you know, let me tell you, girl, it gets harder and harder. So actually the triple feels like a seven nowadays. Like, girl, just wait. Uh, so yeah, so the body, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, you know, um, that's kind of where I'm at with this. So I still do it and I enjoy it. But, you know, the, the co <laughs> costuming design is, you know, Brent is, you know, it doesn't require physical effort. So, I mean, it does in a way, but like, I'm not gonna bend over backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't have to like, you know, jump up and down on the field. So, um, so basically that's my, like, that's a huge thing for me, you know, at Blue Coats right now and is the, is the costume side of it. And then Michael Rafer, as of like two years ago, uh, he came in on, in 2018. Prior to that, the set stuff, you know, John, Vandekoff and myself and Jim would cobble together the best we could because we don't have a background in set design. But I was, I was much more involved those, like, those earlier years. But thank God Michael uh, you know, chose to join us in 2018 and that he brought a whole massive dimension to 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 that and we're we're better at what we what we do now because of him and so i mean we're still but we still work closely together because he wants to know what i'm thinking about costumes and then we kind of try to coordinate with what he's thinking about sets so i think when i say the past couple of years it's because i think that, you know i've always had that team you know i've always john and jim and i've worked together for a very very long time starting in 1991 or two i think and 92 i think and um so you know, we've always had that, but now with Michael, you know, adding Michael and of course the amazing music, music, you know, staff they have there. Um, it's just sort of like, it feels like, uh, how do I put it? Like when, when, when I have, 
less to th I have sort of less to think about in terms of the other areas, and I can concentrate more energy on uh, on the on the costumes, and then I have my little time to play, you know, play color guard, at, you know, during spring training, which I love. All of that, that's a perfect summer for me, where I can kind of like enjoy that. And I enjoy that process also with other drum corps, with, you know, Vanguard and um, with, um, um, I think it was announced, yeah, it was announced. Uh, we, we took on Boston coming up this year, so we were going to do Boston. But um, um, uh, what do you call So there's, it's multiple drum corps, and it's all, like, I love every experience, like, as I said before. So that, so it's kind of like, you know, I'm always going to want to do some choreography and I enjoy that. Um, but I'm glad that I don't have to do as much writing as I used to back in the day. Like, I'm really glad because it hurts. <laughs> like, after a while, I'm like, Lord, today, can I get a massage? Can I get a, can I get an Epsom salt bath? Can I get a, I don't know. So, you know, and then I, sometimes, you know, my back is like, I can barely walk and I'm like, but I love it. You know, I got to keep doing it. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, so there's, that's the story, but you know, I, 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 I have to say, I owe a lot of the, you know, success that we, successes that we've had in the past couple of years to the team and to the collaboration and the support that I get. I'm a better designer because I'm surrounded by people who are brilliant, you know, really honest to God, that's the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no man is an island, right? So you can't do this on your own. You, you need the psychological support and sometimes even the, you know, the, the physical support. We have an amazing um, kind of what, what I would call wardrobe people, you know, like super managers and supervisors at, you know, at, at the core, I mean, who are amazing. Like they get, yeah, they get all the sizing together. They get the, they, they have the racks. They, they get some volunteers in to help with this. They paint the shoes. They paint the shoes. I mean, it's like one day I walked in and they helped figure out how to paint the shoes. So they, you know, would work. And I'm, I walked in and there were like, I don't know, it was like an army of shoes on, in the field house. I'm like, yay. <laughs> Cause I was just like, I didn't have to do it myself. I'm so excited. So when you're supported like that, God, there's, I can't say enough about having, you know, the support of you know creative people around me it makes me better yeah that production value of blue coats it's probably right when um 2017 2018 rolled around it was like it was night and day like from year to year and it's it just show it, it i i can only imagine being in the show let alone watching it because the i i feel like i'm watching a broadway show on the field every time i watch blue coats yeah no we're, we're definitely evolving into something it's it's, I think that's where the activity like is heading in that yeah. and I because I think um it's it's becoming more widespread for the masses that, of people who don't understand color guard and don't understand the activities so I think it can actually bring in like like grandma that lives around the block or like you know it's yeah. more enjoyable for any audience and I think yeah for sure for sure and I would say I think you're right I think the activity in general like if you look at the top you know, 10, 12 cores, even, even more, 15, you know, everybody has something to offer. And, and we're finding like, I'm just enjoying watching it. Like I'm enjoying watching what other people are doing. I'm inspired by it. Um, we all have our different take on it, but I remember, so my, my husband likes drum corps. Thank God. You know, that was like, a big <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's not on the activity, correct? Yeah. What's that? 
He's not of the activity. No, 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 no. He knows of it, though. It turns out when I first met him on our first date, I, you know, of course, the subject of drum corps came up uh, somehow. I, it could have been that I had a cadet T-shirt on, but anyway. So he said, oh, is that the drum corps? I was like, wait, what, 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 what happened? And so he said, is that the drum corps? I said, oh, my Lord God. And so it turns out he and some friends had been going to Allentown to watch PCIEs for a few years, like prior to me ever knowing him at all. And, um, and so I was like, oh yeah, and he likes it, he enjoys it. And he was even in his, I think he was in his high school color guard for a, a season. So, so that was great. So, but he loved, but he, he's the kind though, like, he's the kind though, like when we go to DCIEs together, his ass is in the seat during the fricking national anthem. Wow. <laughs> like, Girl, it is four o'clock in the afternoon and he's sitting in the seat. I'm like, honey, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can make I'll it. I'll join you in a bit. <laughs> exactly. I'll be right back. I love fans though. I love yeah, fans. no, he's in the seat so early. And even at DCI, we went uh, at, at, in, and, um, in Indianapolis a couple, two years ago maybe, a friend of ours came who also used to go to drum corps with him and uh, he got tickets and they sat in those seats for what's that on Thursday night? How many drum corps on Thursday night? Like 22 or something like that? Uh, yeah. I can't remember. They sat in their seats before the, for every drum corps, 22. And so I was like, I thought, like, I felt bad. Like I was just kind of running around, flitting around. I mean, I had my things to do with the core. Like my core was on later, of course, you know, in the day, which is good. But I, I found myself, okay, I'll sit here. And I, I, I start, I think, I can't remember who was on first, but it was like, and I sat there and I thought to myself, you know what, more people should do this. More instructors. Like of the, when you're, when you're instructing sort of the top level, whatever, I think it's not a bad idea to honestly sit and watch all the other drum corps from 22 on up. Because, you know, I found you, you kind of like, I got a different perspective right, on decisions people make, depending on talent levels. But I also saw some things that were interesting and made me think, you know, I thought it was curious. I thought, oh, look, you know, those, that choreography was really cool over there. Somebody made a really cool decision about that thing or that costume or that, that set or whatever it was. And there's always something really fun. So I always encourage people, like, go ahead. And if it's at Indianapolis or it's at DCI East or wherever you are, go ahead and just kind of, take it all in take all of it in because i don't know i i think i've gotten better as a designer you know because when you when you see what other people are doing and the choices they're making you know there's some great stuff there's 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 great stuff out there there's a lot of people doing really amazing work and i'm i'm awed by it and i i think it makes you better when you when you kind of are you know seeing you know what other people are doing and kind of being inspired by by their thought process yeah and it's it's nice to like I know for me, I've been a tech for the past like four years. So taking off my tech glasses and just enjoying the fact that these kids are living their best life on the field too is always really nice to watch because it's like, this is their last moments. Like sometimes, some of them forever, some just for the season. And it's like, you know, it's like, whatever, the flags aren't perfect, you know, but at the end of the day, it's, are they, are they loving it out there? Yeah, you could just- Yeah, for it. sure. Yeah, and something that um, was like really pivotal to me this last summer was I like 
um, I had a staff member that I like I I trusted so much and um, we would go and watch like the the DCA groups uh, and just like ev everybody on all night he would like there were like certain questions that he would like ask me and like just have me ponder or think out loud about about decisions being made or like foreshadowing like within the events that were happening on the field that like so that like ticks on my own but like it was good to have him like guide it and like drop more knowledge and information and like language around the sheets um and it was like so important to me to like have that like throughout the season when I taught um yeah. because yeah it's it made a lot of things click for me and yeah for sure a lot of these shows are very heady too um you know you got your like basic experience when you're like watching and just appreciating the art but then like when you really think about some of the designs and decisions um, made like it's there's a lot to appreciate yeah, there is. And, you know, I, I'll say this too, like, just so, I mean, if anyone's listening at some point, like, some people sometimes, they, I think they wonder, you know, people who don't know me, like, they, uh, so I, I've definitely pushed the activity as far as costuming is concerned into a certain more theatrical direction, for sure, right? I took the helmets off the blue coats in 2016 and took the jackets off them, and they were basically a kind of dance company, right? And that was a big change. Um, and that was risky, you know, but we, we, we were committed to it, right? But at the same time, I still love, I still have the, a, a real appreciation and love for military looks as well. Like, I, I love it all. Like, it's not, it's not either or for me, it's and, you know? So it's like, I like, I like to see if somebody wants to do something more traditional military and have the most, the most kick-ass shako with the biggest feather or whatever you know whatever i love that too i love it all i just think it's you know we just have more more kind of tools now right there's more options and so now you can kind of uh explore you know in different in whatever direction you want to go that's what i think is also good you know about drum corps I mean, i'm sure there's some people on drum corps planet who think that i've destroyed you know whatever but the thing is it's not that i don't i don't disrespect all of the the um the history and the underpinnings of of the drum corps uniform look i love it i would i would i i have um i have archival you know photos and pictures and stuff of all kinds of military um uniforms from you know for the past 200 years and i reference those sometimes you know because there's stuff in there that kind of i can sometimes build into things right so i i i love i'm a huge fan or a huge kind of you know student of of, of uh, military dress, you know, and, and history of all of that. But, um, and, you know, yeah, and you never know. I mean, who knows, you know, fast forward a couple of years from now, blue coats could come out looking like, you know, the Buckingham Palace guards, who the hell knows? I don't know, it just sort of depends, right? So, but now we can, we have sort of a little bit more leeway to explore, right? I would, I would say. I think um, if people get away from the fact that you're not trying to tarnish the history and you're nope. trying yeah. something new, because why? Like, why not? <laughs> it's it's like yeah. what's stopping you from doing something new and different and fun and maybe taking it the activity in a different direction. But it's I think um, there's a big misconception when things start to change that they're like f the history. Like we're we're scrapping it you know no no nothing is nothing ever gets scrapped no way no and you know with me too i'm i i'm very once i've kind of explored something to to a certain level then i'm done with it then the pendulum has to swing back the other way because i'm 
I don't know, I just get bored with myself. You know, there's nothing worse than being bored with yourself as a designer. So it's like if I get bored and I've, I've sort of explored a certain uh, way of doing things for a while, um, it'll just end. You know, I'll be like, okay, I can't do that anymore. I've got to, I've got to move away from, mm -hmm. from that and try something else for a while. I just, I cannot, I can't sit inside a, a kind of, um, you know, box for too long because it gets boring. It definitely shows that you don't stay in a box too long, and it's what make it's what makes you as a designer that people want you. You know, it's like you don't, you're not, you have a style, but at the end of the day, it's like you can taste that. You you add some flavor from other places, you know. Yeah, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, um, have there been moments of like adversity that's like drawn you back to the activity or pushed you out of it, and like how do you like? I mean, you clearly wanted this in your life forever. So how do you like find it as a tool um, to like fuel your passions elsewhere? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think, I think sometimes one informs the other. You know, I, I, I guess what I love about the pageantry is that, so, I spoke earlier about having the opportunity um, to work with people who, who, who supported my ideas and decisions and helped me along the way to grow um, in a way that's like, like we said, quite equitable, I think, you know, as far as I didn't have to be anybody or prove myself in advance. I could sort of, you know, grow with, with my, within the process. Right. Um, I, I kind of feel like, that's maybe that's given me some confidence sometimes like in the world of fashion fashion is a much bigger world as you know there's a lot more at stake there's more it's a global industry and so the com competition is e enormous and it is easy sometimes as i'm putting things together and you know day by day to try to figure out how to build a company and how to maintain and da 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 I, I'm sometimes inspired by the fact that, well, listen, even though pageantry is kind of a very small microcosm of um, people engaged in creative processes, I feel that um, there's, 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 a, there's a commonality, a common thread um, between that dynamic, you know, working with people and having the um, trust, you know, and in the fashion world. But sometimes in the fashion world, you don't feel that trust a lot. There's, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of shallow kind of judgment in that world at times. And so I often think back to my experience or think of my experience rather in pageantry. And it helps me to stay in the game in fashion because it's very easy to feel inferior in the world, in that big world, right? Because there's a lot of incredible work being done by massive fashion houses with 55 employees just working on one scene you know what i mean i'm exaggerating but that's the idea right they have people at chanel who literally just press all they do is press seams open that's all they do you know i mean and they, they're 70 years old and they've been doing it for 40 years and they press a seam like you've never you know whatever so there's a certain very high level of art in the fashion world um that's you know in you know contrast obviously to our world a little bit but the I feel like the process and the trust and the collaboration that works uh, works in our world, it helps me realize that I, I, I just have to keep doing, you know, the best work I can. 
show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, and you'll you'll be okay. And 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 maybe eventually I'll get that you know I'll I'll get that equivalent of kind of what I was telling talking to you about with the cadets back in '89. You know, you never know that day could come that that one moment could come where someone says, Oh, I like what you did over here. Come meet my friend over here, you know, and that's actually happened for me a few times already. So I think that's kind of that idea of you can you can be obsessed or crippled by self doubt, you know, when you're in the creative arts, right, any kind of creative arts. Um, but um, it's, uh, it's sort of like the my experience in pageantry has helped me remain somewhat confident that it's just you just have to keep going you know what i mean the intimacy of this activity and the support and genuine support is like really important um, yes yes it's like what we love the most and not only are we like feel we feel supported from like others in our circle but like it feels so easy to support others um right it is like so full of passion i'm curious about like how you see the color guard activity growing and like what you would like to see out of it in the future i just got my crystal ball so i could see the future of color guard. Ah, yes so uh uh where do i see it I, you know what i i don't what? really know i think it's more say that again like where do you see it going or what do you want to see come out of it yeah I mean, I think it's something that will, despite, you know, our, our circumstances now, I think when we finally kind of emerge from this pandemic in, in a way that we can be, you know, together again, effectively and all that stuff. I think, I think it's interesting. I feel that the performers are changing a little bit. You know, it's not just spinning now. We're, we're asking performers to be theatrical on a very large stage in terms of drum corps, especially, especially, but even Winter Guard. Yeah, there's a theatricality to it. There's an element of that. And I feel that the kind of performers who may, you know, want to do Color Guard, I feel that there might be, like, I would say back in the day, it was like about spinning the equipment, right? And a little bit of dance, right? But nothing too much beyond that. Certainly dance has evolved to the extent that it's insane. It's like we're, you know, you're practically sort of a semi-professional dance company in some ways, right? And that's an amazing thing. Um, I feel that's going to continue. And I feel that I, I'd like to see, you know, more people, I think, get involved, not just to be, to perform, you know, with the equipment, the way we do with, you know, that's our art form, right? But to bring, you know, maybe some theatricality to it or some theater background or even singing, you know, like voices and all that stuff. Um, I, I love that. And I think that with the changes in the activity, I think, a few, I think there are more, say, kids in high school and even in college now who are looking at the activity as really something that they can actually do in the summer and make it almost like a part of their, um, their resume you know, their performing resume, you know, their performance resume. In the past, it would, you know, and still to some extent, people still think of it as, oh, it's just marching band, you know, it's more, you did marching band. But I think as it gets more theatrical, I think the way the productions and if, when people see it, you know, who don't know the activity, they, I think they, they instantly recognize that it's much more theatrical and dance and, and uh, performance, you know, qualities 
apart from the fact that these things are going around together and that's really cool, the skill sets that they have. So I don't know, I would like to see that. I would like to see, you know, a broader range of performance, you know, um, performing arts types of students, you know, making it or considering it as an option of, as something they can do, not for life, but something they can do and experience and, br and bring their skill sets to the table. I think that would be amazing, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I still want people to be able to spin. No question about it, you know, but. Equipment too, you were, you were part of like the um, designing like the equipment that we spun at the cadets that wasn't the traditional rifle and saber. Yeah, well that, that year, and, and I actually still have one of those hooky things. Um, yeah, I spin it sometimes, yeah. It's, um, that was a George, like George was like, we're not spinning interest equipment. And I was like, okay, all right, so here we go. I mean, you know, I have to say, like, in his... Wow, that was a crazy idea. Like, it, you know, it's fun to see it evolve in that way. And, yeah, um, in his defense, like, I have to say, if he hadn't said that, you know, th that goes back to, you know, thinking outside the box or getting out of your comfort zone, right? A rifle and a saber are comfortable. Everyone knows that. Um, and that was outside of our comfort zone. But I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process. I thought it was cool. I thought the color guard ended up looking really great. Um, yeah, I mean, I had no problem with it. I mean, I know a lot of traditionalists did, you know, but I'm like, why not go for it? Who cares? With it too. I was like, I really, some days I really wish I had a strap. <laughs> like the, the, just it, everything was so new, but like, it was fun to see, like, to see you all like evolve with, because it changed uh, like throughout the summer. And then like, you gave it to Eric and Eric like figured out how to like do this little like thing with the trigger and like yeah. we, we had to make our own like language for it and then we were spotting the equipment too like we had to like figure out how to tape it differently so we could like watch it move around and the checkpoints on the equipment like it was just so different like you as if like that that was my rookie year of drum corps as yeah. if I wasn't already stressed already out that I was like okay <laughs> oh, I'm like I'm ready um and then they give us all this new equipment I'm like oh. <laughs> you, must been, you must have been yeah you must have been so angry like why 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 my first time I was like I've been working on this rifle thing for how long now and now they take it all away once I get to the big wow. so so <laughs> thing poor thing yeah it was a really interesting yeah. so yeah so that's that's I that's the best I could say I think with that yeah and we've seen like other people like um I don't think cadets were ever the first people to do that. Like I've seen people spin keys and like, you know, yeah. No, no, there was always, there was always crazy equipment. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's good to see it still. Yeah. But you know, tried and true, saber and rifle forever. There you go. There you go. Um, do you want to jump into some quick fire questions? Yeah. Um, okay. So our quick fire questions are just like, first thing that comes to mind, like, not Mostly, always yeah, color guard related. Yeah, color guard it always comes up, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Um, if you were to have lunch with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, my Lord. Um, First person that comes to mind. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I don't, I'm drawing a blank. If I would lunch with anybody dead or alive. Actually, uh -oh. do you want to start with a coffee one? That was a little simpler. How do you take your coffee? I don't drink coffee. Okay, how do you take your caffeine? I don't, uh, caffeine, I don't, do I have caffeine? Um, I don't really have caffeine. Oh, I have tea, I have tea. But it's decaffeinated, sorry. 
decaf tea and workouts so that must be your energy source like yes <laughs> you are i think it's like a color like there's it's been like a trend with people we've spoken to that just don't drink coffee i think <laughs> like for me it's like i i need it it's <laughs> so weird yeah well where do you like find your like where do you get your energy from like you're such a like a you know like youthful and like you have so much spring to your step and aren't you, aren't you nice aren't you sweet Greg, um, always so much butter fun. and the bread <laughs> no i mean what energy i mean i feel like low energy um i don't know i i i i eat properly and and we're and and exercise regularly <laughs> your abs are wild by the way like i i don't know how you still got them like it's amazing <laughs> Honey, I work, I work at it four days a week, five days a week. Who is this ripped man <laughs> giving me the craziest work ever? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. What's your perfect slice of pizza? Oh, I don't eat pizza very often because I don't really do cheese too much. But uh, you know what? There's a, there's, a, there's a pizza place around the corner from me called Joe's Pizza. Just their regular cheese pizza. I'm good with that. Okay, okay. Pedro just, uh, he got here yesterday and that was like the first thing. I was like, I'm ordering a pizza. Oh my, I don't do dairy like that, but I have to try it. Yeah. <laughs> first things first is we're getting you some pizza. This morning we got a bacon, egg, and cheese. And I was like, gotta give you all the staples. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. we just come through for a quick hello in this time. I bought a one-way ticket, so I'm here for a while. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so we got two easy ones out of the way. Okay, um, I'll go back to my... If you could have lunch with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? <laughs> you know, there's so many, you know what, there, I guess there's so many potential answers to that, right? So there's the profound answer and then there's the sort of more mundane answer, right? So um, I'm trying to think of people in history, you know, I, so much of Western, like I, I do a lot of reading, obviously, so much of, of Western culture is kind of predicated upon some of those early Greeks, you know, and so I was reading a, I've been reading a few books about the history of, of sort of the rise of Western culture and all that stuff. And I would say, I think historically, it would be interesting to have lunch with Plato because, you know, so much of our, our culture is placed on platonic ideas and all that sort of thing. And so I think historically, if I can go back to that time, I think it'd be really interesting to know who he really, really was, like as a person, because the philosophy is quite interesting, and the and um, like I said, it, it it shaped a lot of you know Western thought for many many years, right? Um, and even it even shaped some early some of the early thinkers in, in Christianity, you know. So yeah, like get over but, wine with Plato, like yeah. <laughs> get the real talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I think Plato, yeah, for sure um oh, what is your most prized possession that isn't color guard related oh boy <laughs> uh that's a good question i have a lot of things that are very dear to me um i'm wondering what you know i have i have a um I would say, you know, because I'm looking at it right now, it's in the box. I, uh, what, the first thing that comes to mind is um, my, my dad served in World War II, and all my uncles did as well, and my both grandfathers were in World War I. I mean, there isn't a single relative of mine that wasn't in some war. Um, so 
I, uh, my, I had my dad's World War II medals. He was in the Navy. And so um, he passed away in 2004. And, you know, I'm just, it's just nice to have a part of history, of his history and American history, you know. So I think those are something that I'm really, I'm really grateful to have. And I hope that I can, one of my nephews, and, and, you know, eventually keeps them and, and respects them, you know, for what they are. But yeah, so I would say that's one of my most prized possessions. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Been very generous with your time. (laughs) No no worries. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, good questions. You guys are good interviewers. Thank you. And uh, yeah, no, it's been it was it's been delightful to talk about all these things Um, because I don't really think about it too much. Um, Like how you mentioned earlier, it just kind of found you and like you kept showing up and like. That's literally what happened. That's literally what happened. I didn't. I. I didn't, pursue it. Yeah, I didn't really pursue it. I just wanted to keep, I just wanted it to be part of my life. And I sort of, I guess it sort of found me the way it was going to work. You know, I, I never wanted to give up a career. I wanted to have my fashion career. And I just wanted to make sure that pageantry was also part of my life. And I was lucky enough to do that. So. Yeah, that's, I think, very relatable. Like yeah. for so long, I tried to, to make it like my main thing and I realized I'm, I felt like I was going to burn out. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So it was like, I, I wanted in doses, you know, where yeah. I can still do my real life things and like get to escape to like this community. Yeah. Like, like yeah. it is an escape. Yeah. You know, it's like yep. um, the, the places I've got to travel, the friends I've got to make. It's like, I wouldn't give, I, I couldn't give this up anymore if I, even if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great work-life balance kind of uh, equation. Yeah, I guess so, well, if we had one last thing to ask, it'd be like, what would you um, tell your younger self or you know, young people coming up to the activity now? Oy vey. Um, my young self, I, you know, it's like it's oh, it's like the it's like RuPaul's Drag Race, right? What would you tell little Timmy right now? You know, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race, they do that. Um, I would say. It's, it's, it's very similar to what I think a lot of people in my situation, you know, I was obviously a, a gay boy way back and, you know, it was very difficult in those days. I would, I would probably say that, you know, whatever, whatever you're thinking, whatever you want to do is okay. Um, you know, don't, don't worry about what people think you should be or should do. If you like this, you do it. If you like to go play with flowers over there all day, go play with flowers. If you want to go play soldier, go play soldier. If you want to, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel, you know, alive and makes you feel happy inside and whatever that may be, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, you just do that. And you're the people who matter most and who will support you most will find, will find you. you. You'll find them and they'll find you eventually, as long as you stick to, you know, stick to your guns basically and, and, and be exactly who you are and be kind. Just be, always be kind to people and yeah, show up on time. <laughs> show up on time, amazing. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. This has been amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it was so nice talking to you. Likewise. Oh, beautiful. Aww. Well, enjoy your weekend and yes. good luck with the photo shoot. Thank you so much. Bye. Greg Lagola is the reason that I noticed Rachel Montanez uh, ever in 
uh, you know, ever at the cadets. Like the reason why I say that is because we were we were at the first rifle block of the twenty uh, thirteen April camp. Um, I didn't go to November. I didn't go to November camp, so I didn't really know any of like the new members um, on the team, but. I also was scared to like spin rifle in front of the staff. Um, so I didn't go to the front line, but I went to the second line to let the staff know that I'm paying attention, but I'm also not good enough to be up front. Um, but Rachel Montanez stood right in front of me and we were like tossing triples. <laughs> Greg Lagola comes over and like grabs your rifle and says, you would be so good. You'd be so good if you just had a diff, if you just like squeezed and like the way... <laughs> The way Greg kept, like, locking his dip in front of her and trying to... I just remember being mortified, too, because he was so close to me. Like, the, prox- was like a the proximity between my body and his body... Well, your rifle was... It was so close. Your it, rifle was a fist away from your stomach, and Greg was a fist away from the rifle. <laughs> I, I feel like I remember him taking... He didn't have a gun in his hand. He was manipulating me with the rifle, like... I'm like, oh my god, okay. He's like just dipping and straightening and flattening and straight. And, like, and I'm oh. just like behind you, like, like, okay. Well, at least they're not calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> Box elbow, chin up, full dip. And but you, but you know what, <laughs> Montana, I did used to fuck with you about your your dips. <laughs> it was a funny joke. <laughs> they're still not good, just for anyone wondering. So. <laughs> Oh, man. But, yeah, I just remember being, like, scared for you. And also, like, Greg got a point. Let me think about my dip. Yeah, and you, like, learn how to learn in a Greg flag block because, well, you learn how to learn quickly in a Greg flag block. I didn't realize that my first round of cadets. Oh, my God, wait. Also, you were, like, okay, talk about mess. My road to spring training in 2013 was a disaster. Um, Like, missed my first flight. Then I had a layover in D.C. and my, I had a layover in D.C. and my luggage, my two luggages, I brought two that year. Thankfully, I made friends with the bus loading crew. Hey, Pedro. (laughs) um, One of them, one of the luggages had my air mattress and the other, like air mattress and bedding and shit. And (laughs) my other one was 82 pounds and (laughs) the size of a small human. And so on the flight going into from DC to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, I get to the airport, which has one terminal and I'm like waiting for my luggage on the flight that had four people on it. And we had to, before I even got there, we had to like, um, move seats in the plane to balance it with weight. And I was like, I I didn't put two and two together that my luggage was a small child, like the size of a small child. So that wasn't going to work very well You do well not need that much stuff for drum corps. Never. You do not. You, you do not. Not even close. And <laughs> so I got to Johnstown and my luggage is left in D.C. And all I had was a pair of sweatpants, sneakers with no socks. Um, I didn't have my gloves. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was literally just wearing sweatpants, nothing else, and a sweatshirt. With no bra on, because that's how I thought was appropriate to go to the airport for cadets. <laughs> well, I was hoping to change when I got to, when I got to spring training, 
And now I am traumatized by that experience and I never leave that, like go on a trip without having a spare set of clothes and socks, shoes. I got the whole nine yards in a backpack. Uh, long story short, I hop into a Greg Lagola flag block all the way in the back and trying to play telephone with Greg Lagola, you might as well not spin. You might as well just not spin because I love him, but he spins in his box really close to his body. So if you're not close to him, you can't really see him. The trick was to stand at like the corners. front front two Sides. corners. Yeah. Like, and you could stand like far away too because like, um, you know, you just got to see like in the, the direction. The trickle down from the front line is fine. Yes. Like if middle from the 50 outwards to the end zones, totally fine. That's good telephone. Front to back, that is the worst. You got the worst reception. You got no cell tower back there. You can't nothing. see nothing. Nothing. No Wi-Fi, no hotspot, nothing. I also, like, never... There's a technique to doing a finger twirl. And if you never <laughs> never have done that technique before, um, you just don't understand how the flag is twirling. Um, because, like, your wrist can only go so far. So when you're seeing it from far away and got to, like, try to decipher it, like the flag goes an extra rotation and you can't go because you, you're not even thinking about doing a finger twirl because no, like not that many people do them. Uh, so I remember like going and like, wait, something magical is happening with those person's hands because I, I'm stuck. I can't do this. In Color Guard, you learn to always keep your fingers together, whether it be a spin, this, like whatever it is, your like basic Color Guard knowledge is oh, to keep what your- What do they call it? The oven mitts? Yeah, oven mitts, like the hitchhiker thumb, like the tuck everything. But like, it was the first time you had to like utilize the in-betweens of your fingers and like it was just a, a wild experience yeah. like a wild like thing to do now i do them all the time <laughs> and like some of the coolest like tricks this year are the people that do like the drop spins into or drop spins into the finger twirls. drop spins into the finger twirls and then they could do it like back up yeah uh, crazy like um, a baton twirler-esque yeah Drops in, finger, 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 squeeze, finger, yeah. finger, finger, drops in. It's utilizing like those really tiny muscles like in between your pinky and your ring finger. Yeah. And like your squeeze. It's so wild. I saw um, our captain in 2012 um, do it and she like told me. She was talking to me about like the technique exercise and it was like it was towards twinkle twinkle little stars so it'd be like twinkle twinkle finger twirl on the little star I ever touch my equipment like that um but yeah i love them now well i don't do them as much now <laughs> you do every time i see you pick up equipment you... um, oh, that's the first thing i do <laughs> a backhand finger twirl, or a finger twirl and a 45 to the back corner <laughs> left hand one hand. left hand behind the back, back. <laughs> That's our Rachel Montanez flag phrase, everyone. Yep, you're welcome. <laughs> Signature, copyright, little Ooh. little C at the bottom. Oh the man. Screen. Yeah, it was it was just so fun talking to him, like in a, I guess just really casual setting because we spoke about how like choreographers are so transient and like you don't really get the the opportunity to get to know them, and so I think. It was really nice to just have like this casual conversation with him and treat him as a, like we're seeing eye to eye more than like being a student. Yeah, like being a student. Yeah, well thank you so much, Greg, for your time and passion. Make sure to follow us on social media at SYTYB5, that's SYTYB5, how the cool kids say it. Also, don't forget to fill out our Google form and give us some feedback. Lastly, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us that good, good five stars. 
Side Type B5, we out. <laughs>